0: bit of an early one, this one. Uh, welcome back to an all-new episode of the All Immigrant Podcast. I'm your host, Avin. I am once again joined by my co-host, Vivek. Vivek, hello. hello. Say, hi, say hi to the people. And good, Vivek, morning, a new... good morning, Avin. Good morning. Good morning, indeed. <laughs> uh, we have a new guest on, Vivek. And this is someone you and I both know uh, quite well.
1: So could you please do the honors? I can, absolutely. So uh, I'm very, very pleased to introduce Sudarshan Suresh. So Sudarshan is a talented international accountant with a curious passion and spirit to explore the world and serve people around him as he does. I met Sudarshan over a year ago for the first time, and his uncontained, unrestricted spirit was shining bright then, and I can see that it is right now. A chartered accountant from India and a CPA from Australia, Sudarshan has lived across continents and currently plays multiple roles, wearing numerous hats and is working on a mission to empower people around him in everything he does. Sudarshan is an internal audit manager at Westpac in Sydney and is the founder and coach at Transform to Thrive, a coaching institute to help young immigrants thrive in Australia. In addition to his professional success, Sudarshan is also a non-executive director at Initiatives of Change, a not-for-profit that focuses on trust building, ethical leadership and sustainable living. I have it on good memory. Uh, Sudarshan is an excellent table tennis player. Although I think this is the one thing I might be slightly better than him at. But that being said, welcome <laughs> to the podcast, Sadashan.
0: <laughs> what have we started? <laughs>
2: awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Vivek. Uh, great to be here. Great to see you guys again. And um, yeah, very excited to be here today. I have to say I love what you guys are doing. And uh, there's so much value in sharing stories of people who've moved continents um, and there's so much scope to inspire people as well as, uh, get new perspectives and just hear their stories. So,
1: yeah. Awesome. To thrilled here. to have you, uh, you know, so, uh, I think let's start, you know, start from right from the very beginning. There's so much, so many questions we have and there's so much of a beautiful story, you know, you have in your life to tell us. So, um, I think the first question is, you know, obviously you're a chartered accountant from India. I personally know how hard and grueling that exam is. Uh, so, I, you know, you finished your chartered accountancy and then you pivoted to working in operations for a travel company right after you qualified. So maybe talk us through that that pivot and that first shift in your life.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a great place to start. Um, and I actually remember you were one of the benchmarks for me when I was doing my CA final exam, because I remember you had passed just in the previous attempt when the pass rate was like 3% or something. It was a bit of a legendary tale at the time, but... Um, well, yeah, so I grew up in a family of chartered accountants, somewhat similar to you, Vivek. My dad is a CA, runs his own audit firm. And, um, I guess I grew up in, I grew up in Bangalore and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. So I just kind of got shepherded into this line without too much volition. And, um, I guess after I finished my second stage the IPCC, I started to really struggle with it because it's a challenging exam. I'm not a very tall guy, but at one point I stacked up all the books and it was taller than me Mm -hmm. and I had to memorize all of that. Right. So I was really struggling to find the motivation to go through with that course. Uh, And that was when I actually started traveling just on weekend getaways, meeting new people, having a few adventures and uh, really fell in love with that. That's what kind of kept me going month on month to come back to the books, come back to tuition classes and manage work while I was at it. Uh, so that was around when I kind of made a deal with my dad. So I said, all right, you want me to complete this course? I don't want to, but here's what we can do. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to complete this course. I'm going to finish my final exam. And after that I can do whatever I want with the rest of my life. And he was happy with that. So that was my motivation to get done with it as soon as I could um which led me to studying for like going into a cave for four months and studying for 10 hours straight every day and and crafting their final exam and the day i finished my articleship i put down my resignation letter and signed another offer letter from nomads wow.
1: that's amazing so you you essentially you just followed your passion basically that that's all it was
2: yeah i guess at that point in time i was 22 and i was really keen to like um have new adventures meet new people and the whole follow your bliss and do what you're passionate about was where you arrived at the time. So I guess, yeah, I was quite inspired by that. Also, I, I mean,
0: the, the entire experience can be quite a soul sucking one, right? Because a lot, because generally the, the things, I mean, at least from what I know of the Indian CA exam is that there's a, a set number of applicants that they rather of uh, CAs they accept every year. And sometimes even if you've had a great paper, you may not you may not qualify just because uh, they, they've met that quota so just to piggyback off of Vick's question how does one keep yourself motivated through that period because you know because you don't know the outcome this is one of those strange outcomes where people have gotten their marks cards and in spite of them having written like the correct answers the pages have just been slashed so how does one keep your mind and your wits about it i think it's the question for the both of you really uh
1: i mean so I never went through the adversity in the chartered accountancy exam for me to know how I would take it if I if the outcome had gone the other way for me I this may have been a, a very a lot more interesting interesting question for me to answer because I had personal experience tied to it it's very easy to say oh I would have been okay but I, I know I wouldn't have been okay because I you know I gave it my all and I'm sure most students give it their all so um i think you know i think it's it's kind of like in a way it's kind of karmic right and if you think about it 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 gives you the it's a philosophy that you know you do you do your best but uh, you know beyond the point you don't control the outcome and i think c a is just a very whole wholesome embodiment of that because it's in your face that hey you know you, you can do your best but you literally can't do anything about it you know so uh, that's i mean that's the philosophy behind it but as a twenty two year old i don't expect myself to to have understood that so i believe it would been very it been soul crushing Uh, to have gone through that experience.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I know a lot of my friends who went through multiple failures and it takes so much motivation and grit to stay with it and just um, sign up to write it again, you know, because you never know what the outcome is going to be. For me, uh, it was... Luckily, I was, I was lucky enough to clear it in my first attempt, but I guess what it was still really challenging. And I guess what helped me were two things, really. One was knowing my why, like why do I want to get done with this at the earliest and probably making my motivation much stronger than my fear of the exam or um, the, the adversity. And my why was I wanted to travel. I wanted to start a new phase in my life, and I wanted to meet new people, I want to go on adventures, I want to explore India and the world. And that was what was waiting for me on the other side of that exam. So that was what was driving me. The second thing I did was this really cool hack, I guess, where I wrote a letter to myself from the future. So I actually addressed it back to myself, um, almost like that version of reality where I have cleared the exam, and I'm living my best life, uh, you know. and I address it back to the version of myself who was struggling with these this mountain load of books and uh just kind of egg myself on encourage myself to kind of remind myself of what was on the other side and every time i lost my motivation or felt really um overwhelmed i would come back to that letter and and pick it up
0: and and actually and, I, and the satisfaction of having to uh watch that reality come true is probably unparalleled because you're just like damn you know, you, yeah. you've literally written this into existence, which is which is amazing. Now, uh, so after having gone through all of this, after having spent some time with Nomads, you made the decision to move uh, to Australia. Like, could you just take us through what happened and kind of what led to that decision?
2: Yeah, sure. So I was working with Nirvana Nomads. It's an adventure travel startup based out of Bangalore. And so every weekend I would take people on trips and I guess one of the, one of the perks of clearing my save was I got to negotiate a one month solo trip mm-hmm. in Europe. Um, and, and I sold my car took my savings, and I just took off, you know, and I loved it. I loved traveling by myself and um, exploring new places. And that's when I realized, um, I'm not done with studying I'm a bit of a nerd, mm-hmm. I suppose. So I wanted to study more, I didn't quite know what, but I also knew I wanted to study abroad, because I knew there was so much to explore in the world. And I knew that, um, there were so many new experiences I wanted to have, which could only be had outside of India, I guess at a, at a deeper level, I was also yearning to explore more of myself in a new context and, um, see how that would shape me along the way. So. I was writing i was working with nomads and we would take people on trips come back and i was in charge of writing the stories of what happened on those trips you know those those cool encounters where strangers became friends over a, over a weekend and form and some of them got wow. married or some of them like uh started new business partnerships some of them were housemates you know so um i was in charge of writing these stories and i totally fell in love with writing the guys at Nomads were quite um, quite open as well and handed that over to me. So I would write the weekly newsletters and all the social media content. I really fell in love with writing. It felt like I was really connecting with myself when I wrote. So I wanted to study writing, again, following the thread of following your passion. I guess that's what kind of made me decide I wanted to study writing. And then I looked up courses. My options were either the US or Australia. And uh, I came across this one course from the University of Melbourne called a Master's in Creative Writing, Publishing and Editing. And that just had me. So that was exactly what I wanted to do. So I literally didn't even apply anywhere else. So I applied for that, got rejected, <laughs> applied again. They said, look, you've done, a, you've done commerce and you're applying to do a Master's in Creative Writing. There's no link, right? So you need to do like something in between. So they suggested I do like a grad cert in Creative Writing which I did, and then finally got accepted into the masters in Melbourne. So that's what brought me to Australia. Mm-hmm. I arrived in like a cold, very bleak winter in July. It was horrible, like
1: I wasn't used mm-hmm. to that kind of a environment, but that's a whole different story. But yeah, that's essentially what got me to wow. Australia. I keep forgetting that July is winter in Australia. I, mean, I heard July and I'm like, oh man, that's beautiful
2: summer weather. <laughs> i know it's like
0: i got i had the exact opposite experiences you i arrived in in the u.s in august and i arrived on the hottest day of the of the year so and i was hopelessly lost i had no idea of of where i was and where i was going i was supposed to get to university and i left the house at 10 a.m in the morning and i got to university at 1 p.m and it's a 15 minute uh, journey regardless where you are I was just running in circles in, in the summer heat and I absolutely <laughs> hated that day. Um, oh, I'll never forget like you, you you always run. remember your first day, I right? You just remember the elements. That's you right. Know, you remember yeah. like everything about it. I'd like I'd dress formally and gone to gone to college and then I walk in and everyone's in shorts and shirts. And I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: my god. I had the uh, I had the cold experience as well when I landed in the U.S. for the first time. It was February, uh, and I remember Louisville had its first uh, like its it. it like Louisville has like four three snowfalls in the year or something. It had it had like it's, 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 it's so rare. It had a second snowfall the day I landed. I was like, "Oh, are you kidding me?" And uh, I had a uh, you know I was lucky had a colleague picking pick me up, but it was I remember it, it took me so long to get used to that cold. And I live in Chicago, yeah. and I don't think it's, I, it's got colder, and I'm still not used to it. So I'm, I think cold is just something that yeah, you just feel it all over your body. But yeah, you, so you spoke about why you moved to Australia. So uh, I think that the next thing we probably want to ask you is talk us through your initial days in Australia, right? So it's a new way of life, you know, different culture, uh, completely different uh, continent, you know, everything is different there, right? So. Uh, how did you find? How do you, How was your adjustment uh, to the new way of life? Um, and fast forwarding a few years, just for just for this question, how did marriage change that? Uh, change that? Change your way of life for you?
2: Yes, yeah, so I was here for, in Australia for about seven years before I got married, which was fairly recent. So I had like a pl- I had plenty of time to like adjust and navigate life here by myself. So I'll maybe dive into that first. I guess initially it was quite difficult, you know, for like nearly a whole year and a half, because. Um, well, I'm a pretty um ambiverted guy. I can speak to new people and stack up new conversations and make friendships. But it was almost as if I completely forgot how to do that once I landed here. I don't know if any of you guys have had that experience. but well, 100%. Of, yeah? Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad yeah. it's not just me. No, it's, it's, a, it's this yeah. completely new culture. And I don't know exactly how I fit. We don't have any shared context with people here. I don't have any family or community here um and i guess i was also going through this pro- internal process of rediscovering my identity in this new context like who am i if i'm not the guy who lives on this road in bangalore who drives this car who works in this job you know every aspect of my identity is kind of stripped away and i'm trying to rediscover who that is who i am and where i fit in where i belong and what i'm doing here so that was a way kind of um debilitating time i would say nearly for a whole year and a half um i was also adjusting to the new culture here the way people talk you know like there's a really cool thing in australia called the tall poppy syndrome i don't know if you've heard of it but it's basically when um well australians are pretty down to earth right and at the moment someone starts to even like speak a little highly of themselves right the entire group just rallies and tears that person back to ground (laughs) you know it's um Um, so I I remember I was, um, I just climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and I came here and I was staying at this Airbnb and I told my host, I'd done that. He just looked at me, smirked and walked away. (laughs) Um, anyway, um, and, and there were so many tiny little instances like that, which was like an adjustment period for me to understand the lay of the land, the rules over here, uh, the social protocols and the customs, which, uh made it very difficult for me to make conversation beyond the surface level. And I guess I really craved that at, a, at some level. So um, it did have an impact on my mental health and um, I do remember feeling quite like isolated and lonely around that time. Um, so yeah, it was it was quite challenging at the start. To add to that, I was doing this master's degree in creative writing and my entire cohort were mostly single Australian women who were probably single moms in their mid forties or fifties So not only really the kind I would go out and get a drink with after that, after class. So there weren't too many opportunities for me to kind of make meaningful relationships and have meaningful conversations. So that was something that, um, I think it really kind of got to me.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, that's, that's a very pervasive challenge for immigrants, right? Because, um, you know, I, and in my case, I remember when I moved, uh, you know, it's, I didn't move to a big city right? I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, which was uh not a very big city and uh and just like you i didn't have many opportunities to go out there and meet people because it was you know primarily i was spending all my days all my hours of of the day in the office um and didn't have you know i had a few colleagues who became friends with but again you know i want i was craving they were all a little older you know different stage of life they were all married they all had kids you know it was a little different from, from from where i was at that point uh, and I and I was always looking for something more, and uh, you know I couldn't. I had so much trouble finding it. Uh, and I'm actually an extroverted person by nature, but I think what what that taught me, and you know, and then COVID that followed, right? I, COVID happened a year after I moved. What all that taught me was how to be comfortable with being in it, with being with myself and drawing energy from myself. So I think that mm. I look it, it. I I kind of put a positive twist on it. I made it work for me, but. I, I totally saw I, and felt what you went through, and I think this is a common immigrant problem where we know we just don't know how to find that belonging when we first move here, and everything is so different, right? So you're you're just like you know, like in my case, I didn't know about American football, I didn't know the rules of it, I didn't know anything about baseball. I still don't know anything about baseball, you know. But it's just like like you know, you're, you're just like trying to have conversations with people, and there's, it's almost like they're speaking a language that you don't understand, you know. So you're it's it's you're, you're trying to reconcile and bring in whatever you think you have all your world of experience and wisdom and uh, it's not always going to be enough so i think just learning to accept that for me was was uh was an interesting challenge
0: yeah like most definitely i think even when when i had moved and i was and i again I consider myself to be quite ambivalent. uh i was second guessing myself in conversations and you tend to just um like there's that's That sense of familiarity that you have, you've built with your peers is gone because I yeah. could walk into a room in Bangalore or wherever in the country and have a conversation with just about anybody. But now you have to kind of gauge perspective. You need to gauge because not everybody is as free and as open as probably say you are or, or at least from the kind of people that we've been around for so long. And that kind of knocks you back a little. And I lived in a big city and big cities can, can get terrifically lonely it's uh it's it's not the best uh scenario sometimes especially when there are so many people around but you just don't have anyone to talk to so it can be a very isolating experience and like and jumping back onto what we said is it, it really forced me to spend time with myself and to be comfortable with spending spending time with myself and up until that point just that was something i hadn't done uh quite very often it was always like oh if i'm if i'm bored i'm let me head out let me go do this let me go meet some friends i think moving and then when when you're confronted with that reality and like and covid happened you are like okay this is what this is the scenario i think it's time we sat in and and looked inward and that and ultimately that helped i, I think all of us can look back now to the time we moved and, and can safely say we are very different people uh, compared to the ones who just got off got off that plane all those years ago right So uh, I fully echo your points, boys. So how has marriage changed that for you, though?
2: (laughs) That's a really good, interesting question. All right. So let's look at it from the perspective of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like we all have have this need for connection and belonging. When we first move here, like there's almost we're really like craving for that need to be met. So we go out and like talk to people, find that need fulfilled in different ways. Um, I guess for me, marriage is like been a very beautiful settling experience of sorts, where I have like my best friend with me all the time, so I'm not really looking outside home for that need to be fulfilled. And I guess what that does is it it, it opens up more creative energy for me. Uh, it's opened up like a feeling of contentment in certain areas of my life, which allows me to to take on new challenges elsewhere, and to to push myself and um explore new new avenues and new ideas and new opportunities in in the outside world so that's that's been really good so I can't, yeah i feel like definitely i feel like that sense of loneliness is gone uh but i sure. i also want to say that like um that inward orientation that comes almost um hand in hand with the experience of migrating is actually really valuable because i, I would credit that to developing a deeper sense of self-awareness or emotional intelligence, even understanding your own values um, and, and why those are important for you and why they make you who you are. Because that also kind of, for me, informed the person I chose to marry. Because if I have more clarity on who I am as a person and what my values are, it makes it much easier to find someone else with similar values rather than looking at other probably more superficial factors so um i would definitely i'm um, looking back i'm grateful for the journey uh, as challenging as it's been um and I, I think it's definitely carved a new depth and made me a different person
1: i think i echo the say i echo that you know I, in hindsight is always 2020 when you when you were going through it it was it was i it was hard but i think you know looking back i i I genuinely believe um you know making that decision to move here, which was a clutch moment in my life, making that decision to move here was probably the best decision i've ever made I could have made for myself and for my life so i I think you know things have a funny way of working out uh in the end, you know you just uh yeah. it's frustrating in the middle, and you want to pull your head out i think the the hard the middle is the hardest right because the early the early part is you're full with excitement, you know you have the innocence, yeah. you have anticipation. In, in in the in the future, you're like, oh yeah, that that's I can see how that fit in. But in the middle, you're just like, ah, what's happening?
2: <laughs> and the worst part is you don't you don't know you're in the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you just kind of <laughs> kind of caught in it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So uh, so I, I, to to continue on, um, you you worked with the travel company in Australia for some time, uh, and then you decide to pivot back into audit, and you got your CPA as well. Uh, What happened? Like, what, why, what was, what was the reasoning behind that shift?
2: So I graduated from my masters in creative writing in December, 2018, but I never really felt like I wanted to turn that into my profession. It was something I was always passionate about. So I kept looking for other things to do. Um, I was lucky enough to land a travel role here where I was basically helping people travel to India, which was awesome. And I did that during my masters and through it, um, and for nearly a year after I graduated, I was trying to find a job in my field here, and I couldn't. It was so difficult because I don't know if, what it's like in the U.S., but here in Australia, unless you have local relevant work experience, it's very difficult to get hired. And your visa status makes plays a big role in that as well. I, I know, you guys know what I mean. So I, I, I kept hitting that catch-22 situation over yeah. and over again in every interview, in every application, hundreds of rejections. Mm. And, um, yeah, and I guess so the, luckily I still had my part-time travel job, which kind of kept me, kept me going financially. And that went on up to March 2020. And you boys remember what happened in March 2020. Yeah, yeah of course. Mm. COVID hit. There are international border closures no flights operating the travel industry comes to a standstill the australian government has this thing called the job seeker where they incentivize business owners to keep staff on board but that's only if you're a permanent resident i'm a temporary resident so my boss who was a great guy had no choice but to let me go so march 15 2020 i'm jobless very nearly broke and i have and just before that for jan and feb i had built up such amazing momentum i cleared my cpa i knew that was probably going to be my easiest part of uh entry back into the workforce uh in something that's related to what i want to do in the long term so i had been applying for roles i was really building a good sense of momentum in through feb and then there were hiring freezes as well no one's hiring i'm broke and there's no, there's no like opportunity to get hired so yeah it was a pretty uh dark time at that point um yeah quite quite depressing actually um and i guess that was also when i started w- volunteering with with initiatives of change within their strategy committee just doing time on my weekends and contributing in whatever way i could um and um that's when i i really felt the impact of building your social capital when you're in a new place come into play because i developed this really strong relationship with one of the directors there and I told her, look, I have six grand in my bank account. I can make it work here for another three months. After I'm gonna have to go. I would love to work on a short-term basis with initiatives of change. And she had worked close enough with me and I'd put in the work for us to have a really good relationship. So she actually took that to the board, created a new role for me, and came back to me with a job offer which was exactly tailored for me, a short-term project uh, to like, engage the entire membership base of the organization here, uh, help them digitally transform through COVID because everything was now virtual. So I was I became like a three-month project manager to like schedule a series of events which brought the entire community together and kind of um, share, express new ideas. We had a new strategy that was implemented at that time to get their buy-in as well. And that, that really, the, 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 I was kind of taken back to my testing days in college because I could come up with, the name of the event and uh, like be the creative brain behind it in a sense. And that received an incredible response. What it also did for me personally was it bolstered my confidence to feel like I'm meaningfully contributing somewhere even though I have nothing with me right now. That really boosted my confidence. And that's when I got an interview from PWC to to uh, apply for a senior associate role. And I went into that interview with this confidence of having been killing it in one other areas area of life um and that's what kind of got me
1: through that interview as well so that's how i made my way back into orbit wow it's it's amazing right because you were you were probably arguably at your lowest low at this point this was the hardest moment and you had an option to be strong with your back against the wall and you know find a way to make it work or go back and you know, which yeah. was, which probably would have seemed like an easier option. And I'm sure it went, went through your head multiple times in that moment. Right. And yeah, you, you found the strength to do it. And that's, I mean, I think that's, that's some, that's really something, right. I think when you look back at that moment, you know, at that, you know, like we talked about clutch moments when you look back at that clutch moment in your life, do you, uh, do you ever feel like it could have gone the other way? And do you ever think about what life would have been if it had?
2: I was actually applying to roles in India at the time. So it was a very real possibility. Um, I had to consider every avenue. I had only 6K in my account, right? I can't make it work for more than two or three months. So I had to think about that. And I didn't want to because to to some extent, it felt like I would be failing myself because I I knew I'd come all this way, not just to turn back and and go home when the going got tough. Um, It was a real test. you know, I had a bunch of other things happened at the time. A relationship ended. I crashed my car. It was just a lot, lot of things going on at the time. So um, it was a little. I would say one of those spiritual tests, which really tests your character and asks you who you are when you're facing that mirror, and you got to find deeper reserves of strength within yourself to to come back and say, "I'm not going to give up today."
1: Amazing. That's.
0: Okay. Uh... Yeah, we've we've all been there at some point where it's just but it's just adversity on top of adversity and just you think, oh that's enough adversity for today. There's an additional dollar comes. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. We've all been there and I think we're all wizened and tired by it at, at this point. But uh yeah. I mean it's always great that you can that that you can stand up to it and you know you, and when you see through the the relief and also the uh how do I put this? The the, the whole idea of just having the, of having gotten past it is is extremely fulfilling. And uh, when you look back and you're like, wow, and in like as Vivek mentioned hindsight is twenty twenty. And when you look back, things often seem a lot smaller than they actually are. But when you're in that moment, you're like, this is hell. This is absolute hell. Yeah. But uh, getting through it makes it all the more sweeter. Yeah. And you know. Yeah. I guess you. Sorry. Go on, Vivek.
1: No, no. Go on. Go on. Go on. No, that's it. Go on. No, I was so I was just saying, you know, I think what I think the the, the real insight was in something Sue said. You know, he, uh, he he said that you know when things were really bad, um, and you know he he was obviously going through the struggles, but then he found this one breakthrough, and then you know he used that momentum to to build and and get into you know get into PWC and do all that do all these amazing things there on. So for me, I think the biggest takeaway when I look at, you know, every time I find myself in, in a, you know, in a moment of adversity where I feel like things are just dogpiling and because that's how life works, right? And yeah, yeah. one thing going wrong, all of a sudden you have three things going wrong. Yeah. And, and the way that I, I've, I've found to, to overcome that is to look for a quick and easy win somewhere in your life. Because I feel like the second you do that, you're, you're kind of turning the tide a little bit, you know, even though things are going wrong, you have something to build off of and you can, you can transform that, use that momentum to really build something. And you know reverse that reverse the direction of of what's happening in your life at that point and and i think you said that it was part of your story it was very subtle but i think you know that's that's what happened you found your first win and then you just kind of built on that and then it you became unstoppable
2: you know that's that's absolutely spot on and you know that's actually one of the principles that i use now when i coach people of uh harnessing that momentum from small wins to build momentum and then attack your bigger goal so yeah, remind me to come back to that later
1: i i use the same principle when i coach so I, oh, I, it's awesome yeah, nice. i love it yeah you know absolutely it's yeah awesome. it's amazing okay awesome so uh, you know just so just uh i want to you know just spend a mo- little bit a little bit of time on pwc so you know you obviously were with pwc i think in india and in australia so um i mean <laughs> same company and i know you were doing you're doing something similar i believe audit um so, but I'm sure there were differences uh, between the two in terms of the culture, the work culture, the work ethic, the people in general, uh, maybe talk us through the the differences and experiences you had within the same multinational company in two different countries, continents.
2: Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, I was a senior associate for some time in PwC India. And when I joined here, I was also a senior associate, but I guess, firstly, a senior associate in australia was one grade higher than a senior associate in india because we had an offshore team doing all the like the testing and the vouching whereas in india for a large part of my uh time there i was doing the basic like the where the rubber meets the road you're doing the testing and the vouching here i got more involved with the strategy aspects of it but i guess from a cultural perspective it was a whole world apart uh firstly i noticed that uh, here in australia there were hierarchies, but they were a lot less rigid or fluid. For example, we wouldn't address the partners, sir; so we, would, we would call them by their first name, um, which you guys probably also notice in, in the US, right? Uh, that said, that didn't mean there weren't hierarchies. There definitely were, it's, it's just a lot more subtle. Um, the other aspect to it is it's a fiercely competitive environment, probably more so in Sydney than it was in India the the good part was i felt like there was less politics and you know the office gossip or at least i didn't really get involved with it so i don't know how much there was um but yeah I felt, it felt like a it felt like a more positive environment in some ways that said it was still extremely demanding and um and it, it really pushes you to the brink you know so that was all you never just get out of a challenge and then life is all good and it's happily ever after it's always from one to the next and this was around the time when i was uh, hoping for my visa to be renewed so i had that driving my motivation to work 12 15 hours a day and eventually ended up burning out at some point um you know so um i guess i guess um you have an advantage in your home country uh where you're not fighting for your for your survival rights. And that can really impact you in certain ways, you know. Um, it can make you neglect your own own health and well-being and put all your efforts into one certain direction. And in the long run, that's not sustainable and it's going to make make you burn out. And that's what happened to me at PwC in Australia. Um, but I think from a cultural perspective, uh, it, it's way different from PwC in India.
0: And how much of that uh, did that play in, in, in setting up this new um... Business that you've got going, uh, centered around personal coaching, uh, specifically to in in for careers for for immigrants. Was there something that happened in those P- PWC years where you felt, oh, okay, I could uh, this, this is this this is something I could and I should be doing?
2: It was actually much later once I joined Westpac. The the biggest difference was there's much better work-life balance right now. That means I have capacity and time to think. And like I said, I got married after I joined Westpac. So that, again, settled my need for companionship and allowed me to engage in other creative pursuits. So it, it happened a little later. But I guess a lot of my experiences at PwC have shaped my approach because I primarily work with people within financial services and banking so i know exactly the nature of challenges they're going through so i know how to kind of coach them uh, or help them navigate around that
1: no i i, I was you know, i was just he- hearing this i mean i have a lot of questions uh, but let me just uh, start with one i think so um i mean you go into coaching um and of course you know coaching is is in itself a whole new set of skills um and you know it, it's it's i mean it takes it takes time to get into your rhythm um, I think one of the things that I've found about coaching, uh, you know, when I coach, uh, I don't do it as much anymore, but when I used to do a lot more was that, uh, there were many instances where I found that I couldn't solve, uh, my client's problems. Uh, you know, there were instances where it, it maybe coaching wasn't the answer. Maybe it was therapy, maybe it was something else. Right. And, and in coaching and therapy, obviously not the same thing. So, uh, I guess the question is, did you, did you come across, uh, clients in, in your, you know, in your time where, uh, they had challenges which you, you felt you couldn't coach and how did you deal with that? And, you know, talk us through your process of how do you, how do you, how do you came to, how you came to resolutions in those moments?
2: That's a, that's a really good question. Um, So just for a bit of context, I, I'm a career coach, so I coach people go through career changes within Australia, and I particularly focus on migrants because I've been through that journey, I understand what it's like to receive thousands of rejections because you don't have a visa or because you don't have relevant local work experience, right? And um, I take a little more of a philosophical or spiritual approach to coaching, where I see it as a holistic transformation in your inner reality before that's mirrored in your external reality. So I work a lot on the mindset level rather than just in terms of the result externally. Adopting that framework allows me to keep coming back to a first principles approach. And my first principles are very simple. The three of them, it's nourish yourself in whatever way makes sense to you. The second is you own confidence by taking consistent action towards your goals. And the third is you play from a position of strength. And the last one's interesting because uh, as migrants, it's easy to feel like a victim. It's easy to feel like the system is rigged against you. It's easy to feel like nothing's working out in your favor, but the way around it is to play from a position of strength. So that was what helped me. And that's what I try to help my coaches do. When I come across a situation where my client is facing a problem that I can't solve, my approach, rather than trying to solve the problem for them, is to kind of um, be that container where they can come to the realization that they are not defined by their problem. So they're not identifying with it anymore. And that allows them to create a bit of space between them and the problem, and then look at it from a, from a fresh perspective. And here's an example. So I have a client from Thailand, incredible, right? She's uh, got a, an at MBA. She's a CFA charter holder, but she hadn't been able to crack a single interview here in Australia. And one of her biggest pain points was that her English speaking ability wasn't, very, wasn't wasn't the best. Personally, I thought she was fine, but she didn't think so. And I guess that came back to like tagging herself as a English as a spec, second language speaker or something along those lines. And one day in one of her sessions, she had this breakthrough realization where she, she just said, you know what, Sudarshan, I don't think I don't think I'm going to identify with that anymore. Maybe English isn't my second language. Maybe I just learned that after I learned Thai. I just learned it at a different time. You know? And that just made her feel a lot more confident about herself speaking in English when she was approaching interviews. And now she's on the she's cleared two, three rounds in different companies. She's doing really well. So I um I see my role as a coach as being more of that person who can hold the space, be with the person as they're going through that challenge. And um yeah just kind of hold that space you know so that they can come to and ask them the right questions which can help them look at things from a different perspective or get an insight that'll help them
1: um, solve it on their own or navigate around it and uh just a follow-up question on that so you know a lot of the times and i think you you, you did touch upon this a lot of the times the, the the even though you're doing career coaching it is it is personal right you're talking about the person and you're trying to identify the strength the weaknesses you know the mindset of the person um, and it's oftentimes connected to the, you know, to the events outside the person's career. It's connected to the, you know, the way they're brought up, like what the values they have. So, I mean, it's it's just, it, I I mean, I don't, I don't know if I have a question, but it's, I, I just find that career coaching is so interesting because there's such a strong intersection between, you know, where the person is in their lives from a career standpoint and, and everything that's happened in that person's life uh in a in a not in a career and a personal standpoint so i just i i think that career coaching is actually when, when i think about it now it seems it sounds like it's probably more complex because at least you know in in life coaching you're dealing with the person's life in from the standpoint of looking at the person's life but you're you're it's kind of intermingled right it's it's so it's it's like a big rubber band or a bunch of rubber bands tied together
2: yeah yeah that's a that's a really good point i guess it's it, it's where it's the meeting of your entire persona, your your identity, your values, your belief systems, your experiences, everything that's shaped you, coming face to face with the world, and you want a result out of it, and that's where I come in, right? So, yeah. I guess uh, the the critical part, which I kind of hone in on, is confidence, because that's kind of that link between those two. If I can help a person develop a greater feeling of confidence in themselves. Then they're going to be more able to approach what they want um, and get it. Yeah. Because um, interviews are a confidence game, sending out applications, reaching out to people, asking them to refer you, all of that is a confidence game. So I kind of filter it down to confidence. And then I really dive in and help people build their sense of
0: confidence. So you've been in, in Australia for what? For seven years now. 2016 is when you moved, right? And yeah. so you've kind of, the better part of a decade at this point. And now that you've kind of ingrained yourself uh, in, in the country's culture, while also having lived in India for the last 20, 20 odd years or so, how do you find that balance between those two worlds? Like, how, how are you trying to incorporate the values that you grew up with, plus the ones that you've learned, or rather you've uh, you've picked up in, in in the last decade or so? How are you how do you maintain that fine balance?
2: That's such a that's such a good question um yeah i guess the process of moving itself makes you to evaluate your values yeah um and identify which of them resonate with you whereas which of them have been conditioned into you so um that that was a process i went through and i guess i came down to like three values that i really resonate with regardless of where i am um integrity diligence and kindness i feel like if i can stick to these three and make my actions aligned with that That's that's going to keep me true to myself but i guess your question is slightly broader it's how do i balance life and culture my family is still in india how do i balance that with my life here and it's a question that um you you struggle with i struggle with at times you know uh, because a lot of the people that i love are in india so i do try to go back as often as i can and be there for the key moments wherever possible but I also feel like my career, my sense of personal purpose is tied to being here. So I, I try to strike a balance between the two by, um, yeah, just making sure I stay connected with the people that I love back at home. Um, and, and while exploring my pursuits here, um, that's probably the best answer I can give you right now, because it's it's still something that I'm figuring
0: out, I guess and i really and get it i think it's, it's it's a journey for all of us
1: yeah and i'm sure you're, i'm sure and i'm sure having a partner also with similar i think she has similar roots to you right i think that would really yeah. help as well it complementarity of the whole thing
2: yeah definitely but you know what the interesting bit is i came here to Australia. i adopted some of the cultural nuances of ways of life here and then brinda comes here from bangalore about six to eight months ago and she's bringing with it a very strong Indian cultural upbringing for ex- the simplest example is wearing shoes inside the house here in Melbourne or in Sydney it gets pretty cold so you're quite used to wearing your shoes inside the house whereas for Brinda it's uh it's an abomination so she doesn't let me do that um, oh, so no, I, I had to like I, I, change my culture yeah. or, or my value back to that
0: I fully so I lived in a house with roommates and I'm much like much like your wife. I detest wearing shoes inside the house, and I changed the the entire house. Luckily for me, one of my roommates is Bangalorean, and so he was fine. Right. So that was really that, that was great. But I we switched the entire culture of wearing shoes in the house to like wearing house slippers or like house houseware. Yeah, yeah and that really it. helped. Yeah, so it it really helped. But even at times, like people would come and put their shoes on on the on the coffee table to drive me nuts and i like i had to say <laughs> i had to tell them like guys come on like you can you can yeah. wear, wear your house footwear where it. it's fine so I totally get your wife's perspective
2: yeah i get it too i mean mm-hmm. if if i just moved here for the first year i still i probably took off my
1: shoes outside and then gradually changed that so yeah mm-hmm. one of those interesting curiosities you know my wife's from bangalore as well uh, i think it's a it's a bang i don't know if it's a bangalore thing or what it is but i feel like when we come you know, come to a different country because there's so much you know dissimilarity right with everybody here we always we probably end up finding a partner who's who's who has such similar right. values that you know and Bangalore, the vibe the, the vibe the values everything is you know it's unique right so you find that person you're like oh that person is so similar to me and it just you know in the in a country where you know you, you have that th- that difficulty finding that it's like you're just like oh this is you know this is everything
2: yeah, man, it's home. It's a little piece of home, far away from yeah.
0: home. Yeah. The further yeah. accentuates the idea that Bangaloreans are, are quite picky with, when it comes to their mannerisms. And you realize that only when you leave and then you interact with people from <laughs> the other parts of the country where you're from and you're like, "Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> and, and, and this, I mean, this is not something I agree with. This isn't something I agree with. So you look for comfort in places that uh,
1: you're familiar with.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: All right. One final question. Um, so, you know, so Suresh, are you currently accepting uh, accepting clients for your for your business coaching? Um, and what would be your business elevator pitch? Uh, and how can people reach you? Yeah. Look, um, I'm quite selective about the clients I work with. I, I like working with people who are motivated,
2: who are high performers, who are really keen to make that next transition, and are willing to put in the work to do that. Um, I guess I don't really have a pitch, but I, I really try to look at understanding the needs of that person. Um, so if if there's someone who is um, really struggling with finding their role here and they know they're capable of so much more, they have more potential inside them, more ability to contribute and add value and make meaningful impact um, and, and see that valued for themselves personally as well. And they need a little bit of help with any aspect of integrating with the culture here, like. Uh, approaching interviews confidently or even uh, building up the confidence to reach out to people and get referrals or even negotiate a raise or something along those lines, I would love to help. Um, I see my role as being kind of a catalyst in that journey that person is going through to help them avoid the pitfalls that I probably fell into a few times and um, accelerate their uh, journey towards their destination that they want to go to. So, yeah, I'd love to work with people who are driven, uh, hungry for more, and, and really passionate.
1: Awesome. Wow. Listen, yeah. we, we really want to thank you for, again, once again, for being on here with us. I, you know, it was such a great episode, you know, amazing interaction. Um, <laughs> listening to the whole, listening to you speak for the whole, you know, the whole of the last last close to an hour, it made me realize just how much in common you and I personally have, you know, we do, we, you know, we're both in finance, have finance degrees, have a foot in coaching, uh, looking for something more. you know, it's amazing. It's, it's just, it was so, it was so refreshing to, you know, to hear somebody who, who I could connect with on a personal level in you know, such a broad way. So it was truly enriching for me. Uh, uh, thank you so much for, for being part of the, this journey with us.
2: I I loved it. I loved reconnecting with you guys. And I honestly say, I gotta say, I really admire what you're doing. Um, You're exploring, um, telling stories and stories are such a powerful way of bringing people together and bringing a community together and touching the lives of people in some ways that they won't probably fathom until much later. Like I remember the podcasts I listened to and um, so few of those things just stay with you and they come back at the right moment. And, uh, it could be like a little seed that's planted, which, uh, takes with sprouts and grows into something beautiful. So I love what you guys are doing. And honestly, I've loved connecting with you both again. And, um, I'm sure we'll stay in touch. So thank you again for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank it's you. It been a great conversation. So I, 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 we've been speaking for like just close to an hour and it is absolutely flown by. And we're recording this quite early today and I am not traditionally a morning person as as people like to, like to say but this has been uh a really like engaging conversation that uh that, that we've had o- over the last hour and i'm so thankful that you uh that you, that you took the time out to come and and speak to us it's been great reconnecting with you
2: yeah uh all the best to the podcast and um yeah i hope we connect again soon
0: of course. Uh we'll see uh we'll see you very soon. We'll probably have you back on as well in, in a couple of episodes. So um, to further you know good. to continue this conversation. Yeah. I feel like we've we've kind of left it off at at the at a point where we can further pick this back up and and, and take this on further. So I guess that's us for this week's episode, Vivek. Shall we close it out? Yep. Yes. Uh, Alright. We'll... Thanks, boys thank you thank you so much we will we'll see you on the next one